0: And welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on a haunting Halloween homicide. But before we get into that, I'm going to pass it over to Christine, who will be covering our missing person for this week. Christine? Okay. So this week
1: I am covering Verlandria... Ashna White. I don't know if I'm saying her middle name correctly, but it is spelled A-S-H-J-N-A. She has been missing since October 3rd, 2023 from Fort Worth, Texas. She is a female and 15 years old. There is some extra information that I was able to get to from Instagram, so it seems like it's legit. It is believed that she was last seen by Crowley Middle School last Tuesday, October 3rd. Like I said, someone says that they saw her in the back of a red Honda Civic crying while a man was yelling at her not to get out of the car at the shell station on Berry Street in Fort Worth. Okay. Yes. Hmm. If you have any information, any tips, or have seen Verlandria, please contact the Fort Worth Police Department at 1-817-392-4222. And we will have her picture posted on our Instagram at Mysteries Pod the
0: day that this episode drops. Thank you, Christine. All right, guys. This week, I'm bringing you guys another Halloween homicide. So I didn't actually know that Rachel was going to do a Halloween-themed homicide for her episode, and I'd already written this. So we have two. They're different. But we're doing another one. So as we discussed during Rachel's episode last week, Halloween is actually just not associated with a higher rate of homicide, even though it does have a bad reputation, which I'll admit I played into. I just assumed. But based on this case and the two that Rachel covered, you may think otherwise. Uh, It's a pretty benign holiday in terms of crime statistics, and if you missed our discussion of that, uh, Christine educated me, so head back uh, two episodes and listen to that. Let's get into it. So this case takes place in Napa, California in the very early morning hours of November 1st, 2004, so not technically on Halloween, but it's a Halloween case. I'm going to fall on my sword immediately right here and admit that it's not a small town. Napa is actually the biggest city in Napa County, which is a touristy area of California known for its vineyards and fancy wine. As of 2021, the population of Napa was about 77,000 people. So not a small town, blah, blah, blah. You should all expect this by now. Aside from the fact that it is not a small town, Napa is stunning. Like most of Southern California, Napa was first settled by Mexican soldiers who, surprise, either converted or killed most of the natives already occupying the land. Napa was riddled with war in the 1850s as the Mexican and now also American settlers clashed with the native population, wiping them out almost entirely. In the late 1950s, Napa expanded with the advent of the gold rush, as many more settlers moved out west to see what gold they could find. Napa already had a bustling little city going at that time, but it grew even more and quickly became a city that rivaled some of the bigger ones out east. In 2004, when this case takes place, Napa was known For being an incredibly safe community, surrounded by picturesque vineyards and vibrant nightlife, Uh, roommates Adrian Insognia, Leslie Maraza, and Lauren Mianza lived in a house on Dorset Street in a quiet neighborhood. The three friends were in their mid-twenties and mostly led quiet lifestyles, though Leslie was known to date multiple men at once and accept lavish gifts from them, which I support in full. And I only bring up because it is relevant to the investigation. On Halloween in 2004, they all spent their evening handing out candy to trick-or-treaters, and then all three turned into bed. Lauren lived on the ground floor, and Leslie and Adrian had bedrooms on the second floor. Lauren was woken around 2 a.m. by the sound of broken glass and a blood-curdling, terrified scream, to quote her. She initially moved toward the stairs to investigate but upon hearing heavy footsteps headed in her direction, instead ran into the backyard and hid silently. She kept very still in the backyard until she heard someone leave through the basement window. She cautiously re-entered the house and immediately went to Leslie's room because she heard crying. She found Leslie in a massive pool of blood, so much that she slipped in it, and Adrian, who was bleeding heavily but somehow still alive. She tried to call 911, but the phone didn't work, so she ran to her car and called from her cell phone as she left the area, afraid that the murderer could still be nearby and target her as well. Leslie was pronounced dead on the scene, and Adrian died just a few minutes later, both of stab wounds. So naturally, the community was immediately ablaze with fear. These were very savage murders, um, and there were a lot of questions about who could have done this. Up until now, this is reminding me of the Kohlberger. Yep. I talk about that at the end. Um, the whole time I was researching this, I was like, this is literally the Idaho case, but in 2004. Right.
1: With, like, the one roommate waking up and then being like, oh,
0: it's a little being, bit different, but yeah. Well, the frozen in fear thing. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, no, I think as we get further into um, the Kolberger, Kohlberger, Kolberger,
1: I say Kohlberger, but I have no idea. The it's,
0: Idaho case. Yeah. <laughs> as we get further into that investigation, which is, you know, already a year ongoing at this point and into the trial on that i imagine we'll get even more detail that will make this an interesting connection but i do have a little Mm. list of similarities at the end because i noticed that too and uh, the internet did as well i found a lot of articles about it so rumors flew uh from claims of the three women being affiliated with drug dealing and being killed for their involvement to an ordered hit from leslie's boss who allegedly had mob ties, and this cracks me up because n- Leslie's boss was literally Francis Ford Coppola, like what? the fancy. Yeah, but like she she worked at his vineyard.
1: I was gonna ask who her boss was because I was like, okay, like what does he do? Own? I'm like, like what does she do?
0: So he's the insanely popular, famous director, and he owned a vineyard, and she worked at his vineyard. His daughter, do- okay, am I getting this right? His daughter is Sophia? Yes. Okay. His granddaughter is the icon that made the video where she didn't know what an onion looked like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, their, their family is,
0: it's one of those families. It is. You know. it's crazy. Nicole babies. But I support it because Priscilla, oh, it looks so good, that trailer that just came out. <laughs> anyway. So uh, that's like mostly an aside because it ended up not going anywhere. It was a nonsensical theory with no factual basis. But the fact that people were like, yeah, Francis Ford Coppola, he's affiliated with the mob. I don't know much about Francis Ford Coppola, but I've never heard that. So that just made me uh, pause for a moment to go, hmm, okay. I mean, they
1: probably just want to draw any sort of connection to him since he's, like, a famous person. They're, like, Mm -hmm. trying to make something of something that's not there. right? Drag him into
0: it. Yeah. And she hadn't worked there that long either. So, like, why would she be the subject of an ordered hit from her boss of, like, three months? Yeah. And also, like, he owned the vineyard. That doesn't mean he was ever actually there or, like, involved in the day-to-day operations. Like, she probably met him only a handful of times. So, anyway, just... Just a bizarre theory overall, but no factual basis to really any of these theories. There was no evidence of them being involved in drug dealing or anything. So who could it have been? And why was, you know, the big question. Based on the personalities of Leslie and Adrian, police initially believed that Leslie was the target and Adrian was just uh, collateral. Meaning like she just happened to rush in to defend her friend or her roommate, as it were. They weren't actually very close. According to some of Leslie's friends, Leslie was dating two men at the same time in the weeks prior to the murder. One had just found out about the other and gotten really upset about it. So given that Leslie was attacked first and much more violently, it it made sense that she would have been the target and Adrian would have been killed just for coming to her defense. But they they did cast a wide net in this investigation. They didn't limit themselves. um, So they actually investigated and interviewed thousands of people. Hundreds of people gave DNA samples. Investigators really hoped to find a match to some cigarette butts they found outside the home. Adrian's best friend, Lily Prudhome, I don't know how that's pronounced, was naturally horrified by Adrian's death and decided that because life was short, she was going to marry her longtime boyfriend, Eric Koppel, as soon as she could. Like, she found out that this happened and she was like, oh my God, I've been putting off so many things in my life. I could die tomorrow. And know we've been saying we were gonna get married you know we're just gonna do we're gonna get married and they got married um i couldn't find exactly how quickly after the murder but quickly enough that people were like it's related like not in a suspicious sense but in a she was emotionally shocked by adrian's death and that propelled them to get married sooner lily and eric were married with adrian's mother in attendance And they played She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5 at the reception because that was Adrian's favorite song. So there was a little tribute to her because she should have been at that wedding.
1: Yeah. I think that's interesting how a person might want to do something like that. Right. I think it makes sense. And it's kind of like I think about when people might find out that they have cancer or Mm -hmm. something like that. And then they're like, okay, like, well, let's get married and do all this stuff because – Right. You realize life is so short and you don't mm-hmm. want to waste any more time.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. Lily was like, oh, my God, we need to get married now yeah, because shit happens like this. And those are lives lost. And those are people who will never get married and never, you know, like we need to we need to do this big thing that we've been putting off now. Mm-hmm. Almost a year after the murders in September of 2005, police decided to release some information on the cigarettes they found at the crime scene. that's really common in investigations that they withhold certain information because then they can use it against a suspect if they know it. They were really hoping that the specific brand of cigarettes would stand out to someone because it was like a new version of a classic brand that was only available in like limited places. So I don't have any, (laughs) I don't smoke. I have no basis for this whatsoever, but it was Turkish gold camels, which apparently at the time were like, not common at all so they really hoped that someone would come forward and be like my best friend's uncle smokes turkish golds and they'd be like cool suspect at that time they were still waiting the dna results because you know limited in 2004 so to the shock of the investigators not only did this information bring them the suspect the suspect brought himself in oh yeah that's unexpected. He was worried that he had basically already been caught and he came forward. He thought they were using that to lure out the suspect themselves, not to get additional evidence. Like, he thought they were trying to, like, bait him into coming forward. Which is uh, interesting. So, it was, shocker, Eric Koppel, now husband of Adrian's best friend Lily. He turned himself into authorities and confessed to the murder of Adrian and Leslie. Wait, so why? Was he having a thing? I'll get to that. Oh.
1: Well, yeah, but usually obvious is...
0: The revelation was devastating to all involved. On one hand, there was some relief knowing who committed these murders that were so shocking. But there was this additional sense of shock that it could be someone so close to those two women. And horror. Um, as Adrian's mother realized that she'd attended the wedding of the man who had savagely murdered her daughter not long before. And that they'd honored her daughter at the wedding. So Eric provided his DNA, which matched the cigarette butts in the blood at the crime scene. Um, So immediately there was a lot of criticism about why he had not been interviewed sooner. And a lot of this came from the media and very early social media. Thousands had given interviews um, to provide information to the investigators, and hundreds had given DNA samples. So, how was Eric, who was the boyfriend of Adrian's very close friend, who had been in their home and often, not interviewed within that first year? So, investigators claim that Eric dodged their calls, but that they would have eventually gotten back around to contacting him, which I think is just, I don't know, a little convenient. Eric Koppel took a plea deal, and in 2007, he was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. In addition to victim impact statements from the mothers of both victims, Eric's wife, Lily, spoke at the sentencing, um, but she actually spoke in his defense. She claimed that he was a gentle person torn apart by the grief of losing his grandfather. In his depression, he had turned to alcohol, which made him violent. Um. Yeah. Okay. So
1: yeah. That's not that's not a good reason. That I agree.
0: I think that's pretty weak sauce. I wonder if so she knew he was violent. She conceded that she I don't it's not clear at what point she found out he did this. Okay. Like she I don't think she knew she didn't know before.
1: Right. But I'm just wondering if there was like domestic violence or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I I I wish I knew. I think it's so weird that she would speak in his defense, right? Even after he killed her best friend. Yeah. Um, no motive was definitively established, but there's what, of course, many theories. He pled guilty, so there was no trial. They didn't have to try and um like prove a motive. Right. Uh, of course, a drunken rage is really high on the list, but like, why Leslie and why Adrian? Because that feels so random. Because on the one hand, Adrian is his wife's best friend, and Leslie is just the best friend's roommate that he had never met.
1: Yeah. And he, it was said that he went for Leslie first, right? Like, she right. was the main victim. And she had the
0: most. Like, she had been attacked most brutally. So how how did he kill her with a knife? They were stabbed. So,
1: wait, did they prove – well, I guess they wouldn't really need to, but was there said to be any, like, premeditation? Or that's why they think it it was just a drunken rage, because there was no –
0: Well, so, kind of. Okay. Yeah. So earlier I said that Lily and Eric got married not long after the murders – because it, like, shocked them into realizing how short life was. But they actually did originally have a wedding planned for November 1st, 2004. But Lily had said, like, oh, we'll just postpone it. Like, let's just put it off a little bit. And I couldn't find any explanation of why she put it off. Just that she was like, oh, we'll put it off. Like, we'll get married eventually. But, like, let's let's move that date. That date doesn't matter. So the most logical explanation that can be sort of cobbled together from this information is that Eric killed Adrian as a form of revenge on Lily because of her indecision about marrying him. Adrian was the target. Leslie was an accident. Eric had allegedly never even met her because she had just moved in within the previous few months. Yeah, and in perhaps the most twisted version of revenge I've ever heard. Adrian and Leslie lost their lives because Eric was mad at his girlfriend, who was neither one of them.
1: That is so strange. You often do not hear about this happening. Like, Mm -hmm. it's obviously often the person that you're mad at.
0: Right. Like, your wife postpones the wedding and puts it off and you think she doesn't want to marry you and you're angry and you kill her.
1: I also, like, it just doesn't get him anything from killing them. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess it did get him what he wanted, but got I, don't him know married. He, I don't know if that's what he thought would happen, you know? Like, I don't know if he thought, oh, I kill my wife's best friend and then this other person. She's getting married now. He, like, right. Yeah.
0: I really do have to wonder if he was, like, whispering in her ear about, like, oh, my God, life is so short. Wow. This is crazy. Life is so short. You never know. Oh, my God. We should we should get married. Like. <laughs>
1: He could have done anything else.
0: He could have just talked to her and been like, why are we postponing the wedding? Is there a legitimate reason or is it for convenience and timing purposes? Do you love me anymore? Like, how about you have a conversation? Have we talk to people? Well, as for where everyone is now, all the major players, Eric Koppel will die in prison. He's serving two consecutive uh, life sentences. Lily, who was his girlfriend and then wife, did divorce him. But she chose to keep his last name after the divorce, which I think is a really firm statement of her belief that he was not in his right mind when he committed those murders. Or maybe she was
1: just like, eh, it's too much of a hassle. Too much paperwork. And also, no one can pronounce my last name.
0: Might as well take a phonetically...
1: (sighs) But also, why would you want to be associated with...
0: That's exactly... I feel like it doesn't matter how hard to pronounce her last name is. like, go back to your maiden name that's not associated with a murderer... Like, you've divorced him at that point. You, you've severed yourself from him in the eyes of the law. Why would you keep your name binding yourself to him? That is strange. So Lauren, the third roommate, relocated to Los Angeles. As for Adrian and Leslie, they both left behind vibrant lives and devastated families. So Leslie was known as a heartbreaker. Um, which I did mention earlier, but not in a way that was malicious. And I completely understand what her friends mean by this. So her friends explained that she was v- so friendly that everyone thought they were Leslie's best friend. And then sometimes people's feelings got hurt because there would be like, oh, I thought Leslie was my best friend. You know, Leslie's just that friendly, which I think that makes complete sense to me. A friend to all is a friend to none. Chase two girls and lose the one. <laughs> Taylor Swift- moment okay uh leslie found her passion in winemaking after struggling to decide her path forward after college and ended up working for as i said francis ford coppola at his napa vineyard um she had originally traveled to the west coast to visit her mom after graduation fell in love with napa and fell in love with the winery and decided to stay there even though her mother moved away adrian worked as an engineer for the city of napa and led a very quiet life the only stir of drama was her ex-boyfriend, Christian Lee, who didn't want commitment when she did. She had dodged death just 10 years before at age eight, uh, age 16, I apologize, when she survived a rollover crash that left her with temporary brain damage. Just months before the murder, Adrian had celebrated the 10-year anniversary of the accident and her miraculous survival with Lily. In the end, it wasn't what the investigators really thought at all. It wasn't Leslie's love interests. It wasn't Adrian's angry ex boyfriend. The killer was someone they'd welcomed into their home that they'd dined with, someone who had earned the love of Adrian's best friend. And then, for a reason mostly still unknown, he murdered Adrian and Leslie in cold blood. Whether it was a drunken rage caused by his depression or some sort of twisted revenge against his non committal fiance, Eric ended the lives of these two women. And then he invited the mother to one of those women to his wedding. Like, a literal sociopath. As Christine said earlier in doing my research, I did think there were a lot of parallels between this case and the Idaho murders that happened in 2022. So, upon further research, I found that others had felt the same sense of déjà vu as me and had written articles about this. So, some parallels that stood out between the two cases. Uh, The two roommates were murdered with a third surviving. Though he didn't turn himself in, Brian Koberger in Idaho was arrested based on DNA matches. Eric Koppel turned himself in because he thought they'd already matched his DNA. The third roommate heard a scream and froze in fear. In Lauren's case, she was able to flee the home before she froze. In the Idaho case, she was within the home um, and was in a locked bedroom. And then there's one I actually forgot to write down, which is that the two roommates who were murdered lived on a different floor than the third roommate who survived. Yeah. And I remember that being a sticking point in the Idaho investigation because they lived on the second floor, wasn't it? And he'd gone up to the second floor and then down past the other bedroom, but not killed the roommate. And so this would be the same thing, that he specifically had targeted whoever was on the second floor and left whoever was on the first floor alone because I didn't interfere. Hmm. Which is kind of just, I'm interested in the Idaho case to see how that part plays out, what they end up finding in that regard. So it's not super related, but I did find it interesting. And also as a rule, we try like not to cover very recent cases. I know I personally won't because um, there's always additional evidence or a trial that will yield a lot of important investigation that mm-hmm. isn't always available in the immediate time after the crime. Like even in this case, there was stuff that came out a full year later because authorities withheld it for their own investigative purposes. So like there's stuff about this Idaho case that we don't know yet. So we're not going to cover it until we have like a lot more info Um, and honestly we probably never will cover it because that was kind of a huge case that a lot of people talked about and unless there's like some misunderstanding in the media to correct I personally try to avoid huge cases like that Um, but I did think it was interesting to see some parallels so yeah I'm not surprised it's funny I could see on your face (sighs) When you were like, wait a minute, this sounds like that Idaho case. I just, yeah, as soon as you
1: mention, you know, like the roommates, the mm-hmm. girls, and then like, oh, a couple of them survived, one didn't, like one heard them. I was like, okay, yeah, that's, but I don't know. So did he, did you say if he, it sounds like you broke in.
0: Yeah. And then so just murdered I, I...
1: them. Like that was it
0: could not find information on if he broke in or not, but the cigarette butts were immediately flagged as suspicious because no one in the home smoked.
1: And Lauren, it says that Lauren was woken up in part by the sound of the breaking glass.
0: Then he broke in. So it. I'm
1: like, yeah. either that or unless he like broke something. While yeah, he was like, in there, but... the struggle.
0: Because there was like the, the blood at the crime scene that was his, which I still think it's amazing that there was so much blood in that room from both of the girls who died. But they were able to recover blood and confirm that it belonged to him, like and match it to him. Mm-hmm. And even in the immediate time, they at least knew it wasn't the same as the two girls. So they were like, oh, so this is our perp. Because they'd fought back. They'd scratched him. And there was blood under their fingernails. So I know Adrian's mother in particular had said like she fought back. She was proud of that. That she'd at least contributed something towards the investigation of her own murder in the end. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I think is a very true. powerful sentiment. Yeah. yeah. I've never really that thought fighting, of it like that. fighting but... back was, you know, a, a key to the puzzle. So yeah. Oh,
1: that's an interesting one. I've never heard of that case before.
0: Yeah, I had never heard of it either. And then when Rachel covered the um the two candy homicides, I figured those mm-hmm. were like, oh, classic Halloween, like related to Halloween. And I was like, oh man. I picked one that has nothing to do with Halloween, just happens to happen on Halloween. And there's no indication of why on Halloween either, except for the fact that they were supposed to get married the next day. So Halloween is completely hmm. circumstantial to the entire thing. It's the next day that was the problem. So that's my case. Cool. Thank you, Kate. So um, thanks for tuning in. We are online at Small Town Mysteries Pod. I uh, Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and tune in next week. We'll have more content coming your way. If you live in a small town, DM us on Instagram. We want to hear about it. Know what weird stuff goes on there. Uh, maybe we'll cover it. So at Small Town Mysteries Pod. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Come spiral with us next week. Bye. Bye.